Welcome to episode 110 of the Roger Snipe Show. Roger Snipes Show. We have Black Friday among us. Some sales have already started and some will start tomorrow. Lots of companies I've partnered with or endorsed or sponsored by are either doubling their discounts from 10 to 20 percent um, half price on some items or doing bundles to increase your savings uh, or possibly throwing in extra products um, it's it's looking pretty wild out here um these companies are doing loads and loads of sales. Now, if you're looking for discounts on supplements for gut digestion, protein, uh, amino acids, creatine, red light therapy, uh, EMF mitigation, hydrogen water, basically all the things that I typically talk about and more, click my personal link, which is normally in the bio of my social media. Now, that link is www.beacons.ai forward slash Roger Snipes. That link again is www.beacons, spelt B-E-A-C-O-N-S dot A-I forward slash Roger Snipes. Find all the incredible Black Friday sales right there. Yo, what's going on? What's going on? So today is the 25th, 25th of November, exactly one month away from Christmas. Who's prepared? Who's got presents ready? <laughs> Who's put up uh, Christmas trees already and all that jazz, all that jazz. I've seen so many uh, decorations and lights and stuff up already. It's, it's nuts. It's nuts. And uh, tomorrow's Black Friday. And, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because when these things come about, it's like people start celebrating so much earlier. Now, we, we have Black Friday, which is tomorrow, but the sales had already started on Monday. Christmas is on the 25th of December, yet it is the 25th of November, and I am seeing <laughs> lights up already in preparation Soon people will be celebrating their birthday the year before. <laughs> wild, wild. And talking a wild, this podcast is very, very interesting. I am talking with a gentleman by the name of Ryan Alexander. He is very, very informed. This guy knows so much. It's unreal. I really enjoyed this podcast. And um, yeah, you don't hear me say that too often, although I do enjoy every person I speak to. It was one of those where I felt, wow, I feel like I know nothing. <laughs> so I came across this page called Wallach Warriors, which is discussing health subjects, um, which could come across controversial against the narrative or just, 
I would say alternative thinking. Although it should be the basic standards of thinking, it's like alternative thinking, a bit like alternative medicine, which is the natural way, but we see it as alternative when it's like, that doesn't even make sense. Anyway, um, yeah, what I loved about this chat is some of the subjects uh, which was covered, um, man, we we really did take a deep dive, uh, linking studies and facts, which are not necessarily public knowledge. Um, it highlights subjects um, which we should be thinking about, or at least talking about. Like, if we're looking at disease prevention, how did we get there in the first place? What are the common ideas or beliefs um, which could be holding us back? So Ryan Alexander, just like many health enthusiasts, started his journey through complications in his health from birth. This led him to do research and biohacking. He then started to work with Dr. Joe Wallach, whose page he runs on Instagram. Um, uh, on, on spreading uh, knowledge for people to become more empowered um, so that they can take more control of their health and become more, make more informed decisions. Um, truly powerful stuff. Now, even with how long we spoke, it felt like Ryan definitely could have shared more things uh, but we had to keep to the limited uh, or limited constraints of the listeners. Um, yeah, but but we, we captured a nice chunk anyhow. So without further ado, let's bring on Ryan Alexander. Hey, Ryan, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, Mr. Snipes. Thank you so much for having me. No worries at all, man. I just want to say thank you for your amazing work. The posts which you've been doing for Dr. Wallach, is that is that his name? Mm -hmm. Dr. Joe Wallach. Dr. Joe Wallach. So I came across the Instagram page with all of this great stuff to do with life hacks, which is something that I'm greatly interested in. And I only recently discovered that his work, which is being posted on his page, is run by yourself, mm -hmm. Ryan. So um, tell us about yourself and how you uh, got into working for Dr. Wallach and, you know, spreading the amazing work which he does. Well, I was born in pain. I was born with my hips dislocated and uh the legs wrapped around my neck, C-sectioned out, and I pretty much lived in pain for the first 25 years of my life. Talking about back pain, neck pain, headaches, stomach aches, insomnia, shaking, twitching, like Tourette syndrome. I would nowadays call it stiff man syndrome if I had to sum it all up. But I was not really into, <clears throat> into health at all. I dabbled in um, industries that are relevant here, but I wasn't into health. I was an artist. I was not living well, but I was living off of my art. But I was cured very quickly. Cure is not a, a legal word that we can always use, but when it's in reference to yourself, you can use it. I was cured in under a week, 
from the correct products and I had no idea it would be that simple or that a, a supplement could have that sort of power or anything. And I started promoting this right away, just to people in my life, um, my friends, my family, people I was doing tattoos on, you know, just saying, hey, you got this skin problem or this whatever problem. I've now just recently learned that all of this is nutritional. So it's been uh, about six years since that. I've trained directly with Dr. Wallach, worked directly with Dr. Wallach. Uh, you said work for, I don't work for Dr. Wallach. He doesn't pay me. Um, he makes money off of his book sales. I make money off of product sales. I'm an independent distributor for the company that he started, but that he does not uh, take money for. He also lectures for free and all this stuff. So when um, I took it upon myself to spread his message, I kept those same principles. We do all this for free. We do make money from product sales, but we put that information out there. People message us. We'll give them all of our best advice for free. Most of it is free for them to implement. I'm talking about food advice, salt advice, and we'll, we'll work with them for free. You know, we'll do phone calls, we'll do podcasts and whatever it is, and uh, lectures without being paid because that's what Dr. Wallet would want. That's tremendous. That is really good. And his page is, is incredible. And like you post all the content for him. Is that right? Pretty much all I've done is take lectures of his and some other doctors and other speakers, but mostly his. I just cut them up into one minute pieces. Yeah. You know, out here in the, in the business, we were taught to give people CDs or loan them CDs. We'd say, <laughs> hey, well, you need an hour and an open mind because it's a lot of information. You have to follow for a while to really let it seep in. But that's only because we've cut up lectures into small pieces. So after a while, you're going to actually see the entire lecture. But uh, it's, it's all pretty new to most people. So um, yeah. I'm almost surprised that it caught on so, so quickly and so heavily, even though we're still a drop in the bucket compared to some big accounts out there. But a lot of people are very interested in this, even in the short form. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well done on that. So let, let's just get into it. So th there's so much different random bits of information you got on there, which is so relevant as well. And so much thought provoking stuff. And maybe, you know, some people focus mainly just in one area, but this just seems to be a wide spectrum of stuff. And um, there was one thing that popped out to me, which was to do with um, the uh, infant um, death syndrome. Mm -hmm. could, could you explain uh, the sudden death syndrome, otherwise known as uh, crib death? Like what's actually, what was the mistake that was happening and what was the reason for these deaths? Well, <clears throat> This is one of those topics. We have several of these topics where every time we post them, some people get furious mad about it. So we just made a, a crib death post the other day. There's several more coming up in the feed. I know that. Mm -hmm. But uh, some people take offense to it in the sense that uh, we're blaming the mother, basically. That's kind of the main uh, thing that upsets people. Now, I was born with birth defects. So was Dr. Wallach. It's a big part of why we're here. It's not my mother's fault. My mother didn't know about nutrition. Honestly, we could say it's the doctor's fault because they didn't they didn't tell my mom what she needed to know about nutrition. But then again, the mainstream medical system has been under the dominance of pharmaceutical centric. It's called allopathic, allopathic thinking since 1910. With a report called the Flexner Report, Abraham Flexner did it for the Rockefellers, basically, and created the modern medical system from that document. Point being is doctors haven't been taught about nutrition for over 100 years. So why are they supposed to tell my mom? How is my mom supposed to know if the doctors don't know? Now, they don't know because they're not taught because of this a long running conspiracy where they're only taught uh, to manage symptoms and diseases with drugs, tests, and surgery. That's all they have. 
So you're talking about crib death. Crib death exists in this uh, fog of misinformation. You know, doctors have changed their theories on what they think causes disease numerous times over the years. It used to be imbalance with the bad humors. You know, then germ theory came in and then germs were responsible for everything. So crib death has kind of always been a problem in human history. It's got different causes, but the main one that we see today is little babies dying of heart attack, cardiomyopathy heart attack. Cardiomyopathy heart attack is caused by selenium deficiency. Selenium is one of the 90 essential nutrients, according to Dr. Wallach. But Dr. Wallach will say there's probably more than 90. 90 is what we can prove. You know, 90 is what we have good evidence for, but it could be the 150 essential nutrients. Regardless, selenium is one of the more important ones. Selenium deficiency also causes athlete's heart or enlarged heart. And those people will probably die of cardiomyopathy heart attack as well. Selenium deficiency also causes muscular dystrophy and cystic fibrosis, related problems of which people, those patients will normally die of cardiomyopathy, heart attack, or a respiratory infection of some kind with a similar deficiency involved. So when we say selenium deficiency, that doesn't mean the problem goes away with just selenium supplementation. Keeping in mind here that a big part of this message is that there is not enough nutrients in our soil. A big period on that. It's not just the way that we farm things. That is one part of it. But we're missing key parts of the natural long-lived lifestyle that put more nutrients, specifically minerals, into their world. And I can go through them quickly. And this is why crib death is not a problem out in the blue zones like Lake Titicaca or the Georgian Mountains or Hunza Valley. Why? Number one, they grow their food on a mineral-rich soil, either volcanic soil or they irrigate their crop fields with uh, mineral-rich water from either somewhere like Lake Titicaca or the mountain streams and in, in, um, the Georgian mountains or Hunza. That's number one. So they got more minerals in the soil to begin with. Number two, they use wood or moss, sea moss. Wood or moss is their primary fuel for cooking and heating. When you burn away the wood or the moss, you're left over with the plant-derived minerals. In the ground, plants are, in the ground, minerals are inorganic. They're just, they're minerals, elements, raw elements. When the mineral goes into the plant's tissue in an interaction with the fungus in the soil, this is why pesticides, one reason why pesticides are not good, they kill that fungus in the soil because there's a symbiotic relationship between the fungus and the roots of the plant. The fungus basically pre-digests or gets ready for absorption into the plant's tissue. And when a mineral, this is magic of nature, by the way, this is extremely important and how we're supposed to get minerals. When the mineral goes into the plant's tissue, it's converted in form. It's converted from an inorganic mineral to what they call an ionic or colloidal or fulvic mineral. Those are all three words for the same thing. That mineral particle, a colloidal particle, is now much smaller than it was in its uh, inorganic compound form. It's just a single molecule now, and it carries a charge. So this is how it's absorbed into our tissues from that charge. If you took a, a handful of sand and you put it in a glass of water and you shook the water up, it would get very cloudy quickly, but then it would start to settle down. It would start to fade down at the bottom. Colloidal minerals don't do that. They stay in suspension because each particle uh, opposes every other particle. So they're all, they stay in suspension based on that charge. And you can fit many thousand times more particles in a glass of water than inorganic. Anyway, so this is number one, they have more minerals in the soil in the first place. More minerals in the soil means more in the plants. Number two, they burn plant material for cooking and heating. That's all day, every day. The white ash, <clears throat> and prior to electricity, every cookbook everywhere in the world, every language had wood ashes or culinary ashes as part of the standard 
list of ingredients. Everybody before electricity would be cooking with their wood ashes. This is the fine white ash in the inner part of it. All the rest of that ash gets put out into the compost heap or put it into the garden directly. Those compost heaps, this is another part of the equation. These natural long-lived populations have huge compost heaps and they put everything into it. Uh, everything from food waste to wood ash to bone scraps, uh, manure, all this kind of stuff. And in many cases, the, the compost heap is bigger than the actual house that they live in. It's a huge compost heap and they're raking that back in every season. So they're putting even more nutrients back into the soil, including the wood ashes, which weren't on, on the farm fields in the first place. They've been transported from the sea in the form of moss, or they've been transported from the forest. Now those minerals are being put into the, into the soil. But like I said, they'll also eat them. They'll use this as a thickener. Remember, flour, flour is one of the worst things that we consume. But in the wild environment, they wouldn't have that much flour. The right. plant was different, first of all. It has less protein in it, less of the problematic proteins. But second of all, they have to actually grind it themselves. They have to mill it by hand with a stone. You know, it's a, it's a heck of a lot of work. And you can imagine just pulling some wood ashes out of the fire is a lot easier. So they'd stretch their flour with that. And they'd stretch their salt with it because salt was very expensive throughout the world. Salt is uh, absolutely imperative to human health. Roman soldiers used to be paid in salt. That's why it's called a salary. So, you know, you can, you can pillage all day, but you can't eat food that you've pillaged without salt. You can hunt all day. You can't eat the hunted food without salt. So Roman soldiers would carry a satchel of salt with them. But anyways, the most, most of the population couldn't afford that much salt, so they cut their salt with wood ashes up to 10 parts. It's up to 10 parts wood ashes for one part salt. It's a lot, so they're eating a lot of wood ashes. Wood ashes taste good. The reason why herbs and spices and stuff taste good is because of their mineral content. If you've ever eaten hydroponically grown turmeric with just nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium fertilizer, it tastes like almost nothing. You feel like you can just keep dumping it on the food and it's never going to get that flavor. But if you've tasted it, you know, grown uh, properly on in India or Australia, which has a lot more minerals in the soil than we do in North America, it, it's full flavor. You can add just a pinch of turmeric to your food and now you taste it. That's, that's the difference. So minerals actually taste good. Wood ashes actually taste good. Not only was it used as, as a thickener and a stretcher for salt, but it very much like a spice like we would use today because it tasted good. So that's the second thing they do. They use wood ashes. Third thing is they eat the entire animal. When they do eat an animal, they eat the entire animal. So there's a lot of people out there using the blue zones as examples of vegetarianism, but none of them are vegan. None of the blue zones have ever been vegan, and they do eat animal products. But when they do eat the animal products, they eat the entire animal, right? They don't just eat the muscle. They don't just eat the organs. They eat everything, and they use the skins. I'm talking they eat the feet and the ears and the snout and whatever it is, they eat it and they, they use the bones. They put the bones into soups, they leach and broths. They leach the nutrients out into soups. They take what's left over and they grind most of that down into bone meal. And they use that as another stretcher or thickener for the flour. So you can imagine an old bread or pudding or something. It's going to have a little bit of flour in it to hold it all together. But then it's also going to have a lot of wood ashes and bone meal and probably vegetable scraps and other things that have gone in it as well. It's not just uh, flour, sugar and egg. So it's got these super dense mineral compounds in it, especially the bone. And between those three things, those three lifestyle things, this is uh, how the longest of populations get their minerals, irrigating their fields or growing on mineral rich soil, using wood ash and using bones. And that's uh, part of why they don't have the same diseases as we do. It's part of why 
they don't they don't die at the same age as we do. They live much longer. They have you know, upwards of 40 times the amount of 100 year olds that we do per 100,000 of their population. So they're doing quite well on these uh, these basic things. And this is what we want to translate into our life. You mentioned crib death. I'll, I'll go and back circle on that. A lot of people get upset also because they're convinced that it's caused by vaccines. Now, we're not pro-vaccine. Vaccine's going to have a lot of uh, poisonous or toxic compounds in it. Selenium is one of the minerals that we need to deal with toxins and poisons. Mercury, for example, you know, we, we can tolerate a fair amount of mercury in our food if we have enough selenium to get it out of the body. The liver is completely dependent on selenium. Uh, so things like fatty liver or liver cirrhosis, these are caused by selenium deficiency, basically. The liver, and the liver is the detox organ, right? So if you're trying to push poisons out from a vaccine or from anywhere else, the liver is the one that's doing it. And uh, there's plenty of alcoholics who don't have cirrhosis, right? This is because it's caused by selenium deficiency. But alcohol will also speed up the depletion of that mineral. So if you have an alcohol problem, you're losing lots more minerals than the person next to you. Same with if you get a bunch of vaccines, right? So vaccine injury is real, but it's not the cause. It's the proximate cause. The cause is the mineral deficiency exacerbated by the poison, if that makes sense. So either way. Back in 2013, Dr. Wallach sued the FDA and got uh, a positive ruling. He sued the FDA eight times successfully. Now, I believe he's on the ninth or the tenth. I can't quite remember. And most of them were over nutrients involved with birth defects. And, and part of this was selenium. Selenium was uh, mandated at that time in 2013 from the FDA to be put into baby foods. And very quickly, within months, states around the country were declaring on their own that, hey, we've seen a massive drop in crib death and we don't know why they didn't know why because they didn't know about that fda ruling but uh, that little bit of selenium put into baby formulas not even foods formulas has drastically altered crib death the word formula there is pretty key uh, not every baby is born equally a baby that's born naturally vaginally has a much better chance than one being born c-sectioned when a baby is going through the birth canal it's exposed to its first batch of good bacteria that good bacteria is basically the, the seed of its immune system and digestive system because we need these probiotics in the gut to digest food properly, to pull nutrients out properly, and the end stage of that is the immune system as well. So when a baby doesn't, uh, when a baby's C-section, that needs to be corrected or they can have digestive and immune problems from the start. And we meet 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds that say they were C-sectioned. Usually the question is on our list just for younger people, but... If it's never been corrected, you've, and they're telling us they've had a digestive problem their whole life, you know, they've had things like migraines and fatigue and bad sleep and what, blood sugar problems. This is totally expected if this has never been corrected. Mm. So what I'm saying is that uh, babies in America, especially this happened in America, this ruling happened in America, the ones that are most likely to benefit from this supplementation are the ones that are on formula. And those are the ones that are already weakest to begin with. A lot of them were C-sectioned for different reasons. And a lot of them are on formula. Breast milk is vastly incomparably better than formula, right? But a deficient mother is not going to have selenium in her breast milk. A mother gives a lot of her nutrients to the baby. This is why we get things like postpartum depression and even postpartum disease. A woman will get new symptoms and new diseases after she's had a child because she's given a lot of her nutrients to actually growing the child. So it's not a guarantee that a breastfeeding a baby, when we just mentioned why we don't have nutrients in our soils and in our, our food supply and in our lifestyle. 
the mother is not guaranteed to have selenium in the breast milk. But so those babies who were born, especially C-section and formula, now they've got selenium in the formula. And I blame this for saving a lot of their lives, basically. And children still are being injured by vaccines, but we've definitely noticed a huge drop in that. Now, let me just, I'll let you jump in here, but it's still actually common for people to say that uh, crib death has something to do with uh, mothers smothering them by accident or putting them on their stomach or on their side. And everyone's still arguing about babies, if they should be on their back or they should not sleep with the mother or whatever. Mm. All that's nonsense because suffocating doesn't cause cardiomyopathy heart attack. Uh, this would be evident on autopsy. I'm here because of Dr. Wallach. Dr. Wallach started as a pathologist. And he's done the most autopsies, as far as we can tell, on the biggest variety of species out of anyone in the world. He's done over 454 species of animals, documented for a, a massive project from the National Institutes of Health back in the 60s and 70s. That alone, even though he's done more than that, that alone is the biggest data set that we've ever had when it comes to autopsies. So he has autopsied many children who died of crib death, and they all died of cardiomyopathy heart attack. None of them died of suffocation. So that's pretty conclusive evidence that it never had anything to do with suffocation. And by the way, in animals, none of this is controversial. Dr. Walt started as a pathologist and a veterinarian for animals. So this wasn't controversial. Uh, we have every incentive to create good animal foods because we don't have health insurance programs for livestock and for zoo animals. We need to prevent their diseases. We need to prevent their birth defects. And that's it, period. So there's no controversy about, is this a genetic disease? Is it you know, the, the mother goat, did she smother the baby goats? No one's speaking like this, right? It's all very direct, um, very direct nutritional. It's been nutritionally mapped. Farmers know this. They give their goats and cow and pig. They give them selenium injections before they're becoming pregnant or as soon as they are pregnant and throughout the pregnancy to prevent things like this, to prevent you know, baby goats dying of cardiomyopathy, heart attack, or being born with muscular dystrophy, which would be another what they call it white muscle disease in animals it's it's another thing that just killed your season you know a farmer can't be mm. profitable unless they have perfect births every season and babies that are not born with muscular dystrophy mm. that perfect word is something we don't hear much in um, in humans we don't talk about perfect but a farmer expects perfect livestock they expect perfect births that are all pretty much right around the same weight don't expect any of them to have any problems don't expect any of them to need medical care so I should I should stop talking at that point. Because I answered your question. <laughs> yeah, you did, and f far and beyond. I'm, I'm I'm blown away, man, by a lot of the information there, um, and I think it's pretty profound for um, Dr. Wallach to, you know, challenge the FDA and actually get formulas changed, and it, that's quite revolutionary. Just that in itself, it's. Uh, I mean, it, it's kind of a, a strange coincidence that deaths had reduced after that moment there, but that's that's like a big change in history when you think about it. So yeah, that's that's amazing, and I don't think there's much mentioned about selenium. To be honest with you, um, we might hear about detoxifying by having glutathione or activated charcoal um i don't know having a good sweat <laughs> but selenium no that's really interesting uh, thanks for sharing that that's a lot that's a lot to take in um <clears throat> i think one other thing that was mentioned 
um, on the page was something about false positives on on breast cancer for women um, who had been tested. Uh, what, what was the method? Uh, I think it's called uh, mammograms or something. Mammograms. Yep. Yeah. Could you could you explain a bit more about that? About the false positives. Well, false positives are pretty rampant in general. When it comes to breast cancer, doctors are very um, cautious in the sense that they're, they're very scared if it is cancer because breast cancer does spread quite quickly. So if they find a lump or something, you know, they can often just cut the breast off. I don't have those exact numbers in my head. I know we posted that recently and I made that post recently, but it's, it's a huge number basically. And uh, you could say the same for prostate or colon. The presence of pulps or gross doesn't necessarily mean cancer, right? But when it comes to the breasts, it seems that mammograms are, are really just highly inaccurate and that a lot of times they'll just go and cut the breasts off as a, as a preemptive thing and they'll go and they'll do you know, dissection on it and they'll realize these were not malignant tumors. These were benign tumors. And even the word tumor, I don't even like the word tumor because humans and animals, they can get gross very, very normally. All you have to do is be off on your diet a little bit. Like, again, not even a lot and you're going to get some kind of growth somewhere in the body. It's a... Uh, it's a pretty surefire thing, you know, so this could be cysts, this could be skin tags, you know, this could be uh, something like a lump in the breast or a pulp in the colon. Now, yeah. when it comes to colon, or sorry, when it comes to breast cancer, their treatments are also very aggressive. They're all very aggressive. By the way, all the doctors know how to do really is to block things in the body. They can cut something off, off, they can give you a drug which always antagonizes the body in some way so or shuts down a process in the body. Anti-inflammatories in interfere with your body's natural inflammatory process. You know, uh, antibiotics kill bacteria, that sort of stuff. That's, that's all they have. So hmm. regardless, everything they do to the body is going to make the problem worse. The false positives is only one part of that because when, when you're given a positive test of any kind by a doctor, you're immediately thrust in or pressured into the treatment. So a lot of these people getting their breast cut off is not going to be the worst of it. The chemotherapy or the radiation bombardment is going to be the worst of it. So there's, there has to be quite a lot of people who have been killed just by completely unnecessary chemotherapy or completely unnecessary radiation. Even the breast augmentation, there's now a risk, a risk of dying from anesthesia. That's a very real risk. Oh, and, right. uh, there's, there's now a risk from antibiotics are going to give you as soon as they cut you at all even if they take your wisdom teeth out they're going to prescribe you antibiotics now some antibiotics can kill people i don't mean to sound like a you know crazy fear monger here but it's true the less drugs that you take now you lower your risk of dying from a drug obviously but people can also get something pernicious like candida right the, from just one antibiotics maybe you haven't taken antibiotics in 20 years well you take it once you have the possibility now of creating a very difficult infection to deal with pernicious infection i'll call it like candida or even toenail fungus. It's not just about the toenail. It means these colonies are, are living inside you. And anyways, this can ruin your life. And if, it's a, if people ask us our candida protocol, it's much more difficult than our regular protocol. You need to rebuild a knee, no problem. You just give your body the appropriate amount of nutrients. You avoid some foods that are going to screw that up. Candida, you need to go super serious. You need to starve it out for at least 90 days. You need to basically go carb-free. I would recommend that. Go completely carb-free, zero sugar and add in at least two or three things that are designed to kill the infection. 
things like shell flour, diatomaceous earth, colloidal silver, oil of oregano. Forgive me for, too, for going too complicated here, but no. the, the question was only about the false positives. And yes, that is a problem. That is a problem with any type of cancer that you can name. Uh, it's a problem with autoimmune diseases. Autoimmune diseases are interested, interesting because they don't even have a clear definition of any of them. There's no uh, succinct definition of any autoimmune disease, and there's no direct relationship with antibodies, markers, I just call them blood markers. There's no direct relationship with blood markers and the presence of disease. So this means it's something like 40% of people with a, a rheumatoid arthritis, they say have the antibodies. Well, how the heck does that make sense? What is 40%? It needs to be a 100% correlation, or it's not directly a correlation. You know? 40% is, is fairly weak. And that's true for all of the autoimmune diseases. So often doctors are handicapped in what they can do. They look at your list of symptoms. We've got all these hundreds and thousands of disease names for different groups of symptoms. Lots of autoimmune problems look very similar. They share symptoms. So they're just guessing. Another good case is uh, both dementia and autism. There's many different types of dementias. There's a good handful of them. Only one of them, Alzheimer's, is fundamentally different. Alzheimer's is an unraveling of the nerve fibers in the, in the brain and everywhere in the body. That, that sheath around the nerves is called myelin. So that's the white matter of the brain. And Alzheimer's is officially a demyelination. So it's an unraveling of that, those nerve fibers. Now, it's a much more serious process to have Alzheimer's than to have one of the other dementias. Wernicke-Korsakoff dementia, vitamin B12 deficiency dementia. Obviously, vitamin B12 deficiency dementia is pretty straightforward. It's caused by vitamin B12 deficiency, and it's fixed by vitamin B12. <laughs> but uh, Alzheimer's is, is more pernicious. It takes longer to have that happen. And in our view, it's a physician-caused disease because you have to listen to a doctor in order to get Alzheimer's. Because if you even eat bad food, you even eat hamburgers and gluten and soda, you're probably still going to get enough cholesterol because that white sheath, that myelin, is made of cholesterol. So you have to listen to a doctor in order to get Alzheimer's because you have to take their advice to avoid cholesterol, which you have to go out of your way to do. And you have to take a statin drug as well. Those two things are going to guarantee you get Alzheimer's. If you do the trifecta and avoid salt as well, that the doctor will tell you, it'll happen faster. You'll get the Alzheimer's faster. Point being here is that they diagnose more people with Alzheimer's, not because they can prove it, because you can't prove it, because you can only diagnose Alzheimer's on an autopsy table. They diagnose more people with Alzheimer's, in my view, because they get paid more to treat Alzheimer's. Insurance pays more for a doctor to deal with your Alzheimer's than it does with your Wernicke-Korsakoff dementia or your vitamin B12 deficiency dementia. This is, in my view, the same reason why kids, every kid now is autistic, because insurance pays more for them to diagnose autism than it does ADD or ADHD or bipolar, which is all essentially the same thing. And in our view, it's basically a blood sugar problem. But now any kid with a blood sugar problem, whether they have any physical abnormalities or not, which they used to have to have for autism, whether they have any other problems or not, they got a behavioral problem, blood sugar problem, they're called autism. So misdiagnosis is a rampant problem. The biggest part of this problem is that the medical establishment does not understand disease. And I know it sounds very patronizing coming from us, but you've seen some of our content. The story is quite long. And in and every step of the way, when talking about the history of medicine, uh, we can point out exactly why they're wrong and, and why their uh, way of looking at the body even has led to them doing all these misdiagnoses because they believe that the body is a, 
again, this is not a condescending statement. They literally believe that the body is a bag of bones waiting to break and it needs to be managed with drug surgery tests. Why? Because life before this uh, medical miracle that we have now apparently was nasty, brutish and short, right? This is the standard mainstream way of looking at things that we didn't know what we were doing before. And it's only due to the um, amazing things in modern medicine that we're living longer now. <laughs> well, I would say that's bogus. And they don't understand the pathogenesis, which is the, the uh, pathway of disease. They don't understand how the pathogenesis of, of cancer or autoimmune diseases or bone and joint problems for that matter, or blood sugar problems for that matter, anything you can name. The only thing that, that fits their thinking is bacterial infections, virus infections, because they can see a cause, right? Mm -hmm. You get uh, syphilis, it's caused by a bacteria. They give you a drug called penicillin, it kills the bacteria, you have now been cured. But none of these other diseases that we're talking about fit that straightforward mapping. Mm -hmm. Cancer especially, cancer is so complicated and uh, I don't feel it's even right to call breast cancer and blood cancer the same thing at all. And uh, by the way, I think cancer and autoimmune diseases don't have much difference either. I know your question was only about uh, false positives here, but yeah, yeah. If, you, if the medical establishment doesn't understand disease, then they're going to have false positives. Even worse, when you're using things like PCR technology, which is happening a lot now, Yeah, yeah. where, you know, the creator of that, Kerry Mullis, the, the creator of PCR, he said that you can make PCR tests tell you whatever you want by how you run the machine. So anything that's been based, on, uh, anything that's been diagnosed on a PCR is highly suspect. And here we're especially talking about HIV and COVID. So that's a huge, huge problem. And we can't even know the real numbers on those false positives because the test itself is not accurate. People are running it at different amplifications and and yada yada when it comes to mammograms you know our imaging technology is just only so crisp it can't tell us whether something is uh, benign or malignant they can go back and see if it's grown or something like that but nothing nothing in that process actually helps them reverse it they're going to have to do some diet changes there's guaranteed to be nutrient deficiencies in both cancer and autoimmune diseases and i'll stop talking but i'm going to say my my main distinction between the two because both autoimmune and cancer are what i call end stage things they don't have a direct cause. There's no one cause of cancer. There's no one cure for cancer. We can't speak like that. There never will be all these people running for the cure. They're never going to find it under this way of thinking because to have cancer or an autoimmune disease, you have to have multiple problems going on in the body. M multiple, three out of four of the pillars on the table have to be knocked out kind of thing. They have to have a food problem. They have to have a blood sugar problem, in my opinion. The blood sugar problem causes a circulation problem and they have to have nutrient deficiencies. I have to have all these things so they're not going to be, be healthy some body that's uh, very unhealthy could have something like cancer which exists in one system and it can spread but autoimmune is more general that's what i'm saying my only the only way that i see a difference is that in autoimmune the body is generally failing you know the symptoms of an autoimmune problem those are end stage things mm -hmm. again mostly in the weakened immune system but usually you can always see a digestive problem uh, I've, I've met very few people with either cancer or autoimmune disease who didn't look visibly sick. And you know, just from looking at them, they didn't, you could see a digestive problem. You could see symptoms of, of multiple nutrient deficiencies. So it's very obvious. If the, if the deficiency is more straightforward or acute, you'll get something like a knee that needs replacing or low bone density or blood pressure problems. Something like that can be very straightforward. 
blood sugar problem, very straightforward, missing nutrients caused by eating the wrong foods. But yeah, you've got to have three or four things wrong to have something like cancer or autoimmune diseases. And as long as doctors are just looking at the symptoms themselves, they're never going to understand any of this. Remember, all the, the drug is, is meant to do is to suppress the symptom or even see relief on a symptom such as pain. Pain could be a symptom. So they relieve the pain. They consider that a job well done. <laughs> Whereas you know, we've got to find the, the root of the problem. Yeah. And in this case with cancer, there's always going to be multiple roots. And none of this is just none of this is the job of a doctor. They're not there to teach you what to eat and hold your hand. Just take these pills and call me in two weeks. <laughs> let's let's look at the word um, diabetes. I saw a very interesting post on that. The word diabetes meant um, cipher or something. I can't remember. What is it? What was it? What I can't word? remember either. That was a doctor uh, Lustig post yeah i made that post a couple of years ago i'm not gonna lie it was, it was a it was a it was an egyptian word um siphon siphon and um it was given the name because of um excessive uh, urination and um which is quite interesting because you know it doesn't quite give an overview of what diabetes is all about and it's kind of missing a lot of information with the name that it's been given when diabetes is it's like excessive urination is not really it's not the root root cause of the situation you know it's just saying okay you know it's like it's nothing to do with what's going on when a lot of the time it's to do with um Oh, diet, isn't it? Like, um, but yeah, I just wanted you to look into that or talk more on that. But if you can't remember the post. <laughs> well, there's like, two types of diabetes. Yeah, right? the first two, I think, was the one that I wanted to speak about. Type two is a more common one. Type one is a weird one. Type one is in the same category as sickle cell anemia. And to us, it's a birth defect. So they, the person will need synthetic insulin but they'll have lots of other markers very likely that we can improve on. We can always improve quality of life and other things. A type one diabetic probably also has headaches or mood problems or weight problems or other common problems. Type two is just a lack of nutrients. Type two, we figured out in 1957, we meaning the human species, we scientifically figured this out and we added the missing trace minerals. There's two main ones. We don't like to point out these key nutrients, even though we just talked about selenium. Dr. Wallet doesn't even like mentioning selenium because people tend to run out and buy selenium. We're saying there's 90 essential nutrients. They all work together. The two that are involved in blood sugar mostly have at least 23 direct cofactors with them. So this is why we just take all 90 essential nutrients. Mm -hmm. And uh, people actually have known about this before. This is not just us bringing this to the table. Since diabetes and all other blood sugar problems were eliminated in animals in the 50s, this information has been public before. People have come out and said, hey, guess what? We eliminated diabetes in the animal populations in 1957 and onwards. So the blood serum level of Americans actually has gone up over various times with those two minerals. It's chromium and vanadium. But you can see, you know, around the 60s, 70s, 80s, blood serum levels of Americans of those two minerals are going up because of this information. People were hearing this and they were supplementing with chromium and vanadium. But diabetes did not stop. Obviously, diabetes is uh, worse than it's ever been because there's more than just those two nutrients. You can't just take those two nutrients. You have to take all of them. And you can't continue to eat bad foods because, yes, it, uh, 
the foods exacerbate this. If you need one unit of those minerals, call it one unit of the 90. If you need one unit of the 90 to digest one unit of sugar, well, that's okay if we're not eating that much sugar, but now we're eating a ton of sugar. So even if you were getting whatever your baseline need is, which would be determined on your body weight, you now need a lot more of that nutrient to try and process the extra sugar that we consume now. And uh, I've seen various estimates. Some is eight times. It's around eight times more sugar that we eat now than we did 100 years ago. Some people, it's over 300 times as much sugar as we did. So if, if you need between eight and, and 300 times more of those nutrients to try and process sugar, if you can't, you're just going to overload the system. Um, so the, the siphon thing, that is part of it. Blood sugar problem is going to probably lead to a urination problem. It's immediately going to lead to a circulation problem though, even on the cellular level. And the cell membrane is, is made partially of cholesterol. It's part of what allows uh, things to come in and out of it without it being an actual wall. It's not a cell wall, it's a cell membrane. So when, that's, when there's a blood sugar problem, one of the first problems to happen is that starts to harden. So it stops letting things in and out as easily. This is a very kindergarten explanation of it. It is a lot more complicated than that, <laughs> but that's uh, sort of the gist of it. So when the cell membrane starts to harden up, sugar has a harder time getting in and out. More of it gets trapped in the blood. And this is part of the reason this microcirculation effect, as soon as you have a blood sugar problem, there's going to be a circulation problem in the cell itself. This is why people tend to get uh, numb fingertips. This is why people tend to lose their vision very quickly because the, the eyes and the kidneys too, this could lead to dialysis. The eyes and the kidneys particularly are full of these tiny, tiny little veins. And uh, the whole vascular system starts at the heart with arteries. They're all basically the same thing. An artery is a bigger vein and a vein is a smaller, smaller artery and you got vessels and micro vessels, but it's all the same thing. And the smaller the vein is, the more susceptible it is to damage from free radicals and food, um, free oxygen molecules, or from a blood sugar problem. One of the first consequences of a blood sugar problem is elevated blood cholesterol. Like too much cholesterol in the blood Again, it's not caused by eating cholesterol. Cholesterol is good and it's essential. You need it. it. Your cell membrane's made of it. Your myelin sheath we already talked about is made of cholesterol. All your sex hormones, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, adrenaline hormones, these are all made from cholesterol. So cholesterol is just ridiculously important. We can go on and on about how important it is. But when there's too much in the blood, it can clog it up, basically. And um, another role for cholesterol is if the tissues are damaged on the inside, Forgive me if it's too much information, but this goes hand in hand with diabetes. Yeah, yeah, Cholesterol yeah. problem goes right hand in hand. Chances are it's not just a blood sugar problem. Chances are like every other human out there, most of them, they're eating things that are having lots of free radicals in them. This is well done red meat, processed meats of any kind with nitrates, nitrites, or celery. Any burnt animal fat, any charred food of any kind, the skins of baked potatoes. It's not a huge long list, but these things on the list that will cause damage on the inside of the uh, inside of the system anywhere. These are free oxygen radicals. This should make sense. This is why we need antioxidants. We need antioxidants to combat free radicals. How so often need, should a person have antioxidants? We need antioxidants every day. The okay. longest lived populations get between 20,000 and 50,000 ORAC, O-R-A-C, oxygen reactive absorption capacity. Dr. Wallach says we should be aiming for 100,000 in our modern environment because we have more free radicals than those longest lived populations do. Those longest lived populations, one of the things that they all do is they live on a calorie restricted lifestyle. 
They either don't have a lot of food because they're poor or because they live somewhere like the Hunza Mountains, which doesn't allow them to grow that much food. So they're just they're limited on how much food they can eat with what we've just been talking about, burn meat and all that stuff. I'm sure they're not 100 percent protecting their meat. But when you're not eating very much food in general, there's less capacity for this free radical damage. Anything that we're eating that's processed is going to have a lot of free radicals in it. Anything with liquid oil, I didn't mention oil, liquid oil and deep fried food, oxidized oil. When oil oxidizes in the textbook, it's called rancid. And that means it's got a high proportion of free radicals in it. So the more free radicals we have consuming, the more antioxidants we need. But there's pretty strict limits on how much we can actually mitigate, meaning one package of French fries, you can't physically consume enough um, antioxidants to deal with that it's impossible right and by the way a lot of healthy people that follow us they don't like th this math but i like bringing it up one french fry weighs more than a carton of cigarette smoke right so one french fry is worse than an entire carton of cigarettes when it comes to free radical damage it means you couldn't physically wow. outsmoke a bag of chips you wow. would die of asphyxiation you would die you would die of suffocation because you can't smoke that much you would just die so you can eat a lot more free radicals than you could smoke Car exhaust is another source. Again, if you consume that much car exhaust, you would die of suffocation. You know, you wouldn't die of the free radical damage. But this free radical damage, and this is the diabetic, I'm just assuming this is a problem as well. If they only have a blood sugar problem, cholesterol in the blood will still go up. But if they're consuming these foods, especially the oils, deep fried food, the processed meat, this is causing so much damage on the inside of the veins. The cholesterol is brought in like the putty to fix it. Like you punch a hole through the drywall, you put putty over it to fix it. That's basically what the cholesterol is in there doing. Mm -hmm. But you can imagine in a small, tiny vein, there's not much room to mess around. If there's a hole in the wall, the cholesterol's got to come in to patch it up. Now that's going to restrict the blood flow there. Right. You squeeze a garden hose, it comes to start shooting out the other side really strong, right? You can't mess with this flow or you're going to have a problem. So this is why problems with blood sugar show up in the extremities and the fingertips and the toenails, numb fingers and toes and blindness or some form of blindness very quickly people will need reading glasses if they didn't need it before that kind of thing very quickly they could be on dialysis we meet 20 year olds 30 year olds on dialysis all the time because this is uh, this is very likely the root of the problem here the the vascular system is tightened up for one reason or the other there's too much cholesterol in it or there's too much putty on the outside walls and again the kindergarten explanation of this whole thing uh, let me circle back to glutathione you mentioned glutathione Several of the essential nutrients themselves are antioxidants. Selenium is one of them. Zinc is one of them. Vitamin C, vitamin E, vitamin A. These are all antioxidants themselves. So part of what they do in the body for being an essential nutrient is they either build tissues or they run the body, structure or function. Minerals can be both. They're quite miraculous. It's like having a, a, a house that's built and lighted and heated by the same brick material. So they can be building blocks and cofactors to make reactions happen, neurons to fire, whatever. And there's also antioxidant counts in any food that you eat. You'll be able to find the ORAC score on any food that you eat. And in those longest of populations, it, the food is it's better. It's got more minerals in it. It's going to have more antioxidants in it. But you mentioned glutathione. Glutathione is an antioxidant that we produce in our own body. It's, in my opinion, it's a pretty big scam that people are promoting glutathione supplementation, sort of like stem cells. You also make your own stem cells. Uh, stem cell therapy is extremely expensive, unnecessary procedure for the reason that you produce your own stem cells. Your body grew itself all by itself without instructions or without a doctor. Your body knows how to do it. 
body knows how to make more stem cells. It needs the nutrients to be able to utilize these cells. Same with glutathione. Glutathione could be called the master antioxidant because we produce it in almost every cell in the body. But in the textbook, it says you can't use it without selenium. It requires selenium in order to be recycled. So when we're talking about a quantitative thing here, like the cigarette smoke versus the French fries, this is because it's quantitative. It's not, it doesn't, free radicals, free radical. It doesn't matter where it comes from. It matters how many that you have. And if you can only utilize your own glutathione once for one free radical, it's just not going to go very far. In the presence of selenium, that glutathione molecule can keep going and keep neutralizing free radicals for a long time. It's a, and you keep having selenium in that same molecule, can keep going on and on and on. This is how we regularly sweep our house, so to speak. This is how our body regularly gets rid of the damage, neutralizes these particles, because free radical particles, I'm wrapping this up, I promise. Free radical particles are, are ubiquitous in nature. We produce free radicals when we breathe. We produce free radicals when we eat, when we exercise. It's very natural. You can't expend energy without producing free radicals. And so any industrial thing out there that's also producing something is it's moving it's creating energy it's using energy it's also producing free radicals no matter what the industrial process is the car moving down the street the goat eating and farting this is a free radicals in the, in the atmosphere we can deal with the normal amount of free radicals with the normal amount of nutrition the more food that we eat the more likely it is that we're going to produce even more free radicals and if we do eat processed food or burned food or oils liquid oils and deep fried food that have been oxidized then we simply cannot, we can't combat this. We can't out supplement this. And diabetes is only, it's only one possibility from a, from a body that's overburdened with nutrient deficiencies and damage at the same time, right? Mm. It's already got nutrient deficiencies. Now it needs even more to deal with the damage. So we, uh, we triple whammy this in our modern lifestyle. Wow. You'd mentioned quite a few things there, which I wanted to question. Um, I think it was to do with red meat. I don't know, like overly cooked red meat. Did you mention yep. that? Oh, yep. And another thing which I found quite interesting was, uh, did you say baked potatoes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Th th those are those are problem foods, carcinogenic possibly. So your your podcast is all about uh, life hacking. Th yeah. This is really key. The, the bad foods, there's not a big list of them. We have somebody in our company called, named Dr. Glidden. He came up with a list called the 12 bad foods, but Dr. Wallach doesn't really speak like that. He'll usually just speak about gluten, oil, deep fried food, well done red meat, processed meat, uh, oil, skins of baked potatoes. Uh, that's, it. that's his list. It's not a huge long list. Mm. When it comes to life hacks, these are free to avoid, right? We do sell supplements. A big part of the story is you can't get the nutrients from food. So therefore we had to come up with some way to, to provide that for us. But the rest of this is free. People can take 10% of our advice and change their life. People regularly come to us and say, hey, I went gluten-free you know, two years ago or whatever because you never been better, all this stuff. So everything that we just mentioned there with the damage into the tissues and all that, you can stop that just by stopping the bad foods. And again, that is completely free. Red meat is fine, but we're designed to eat raw meat. We're designed to eat raw organs and all that. In our modern food supply it's not such a good idea to be eating raw meat you, you do want to cook it but if you have a fresh kill then eating it raw is how we're supposed to do it i do believe that so when you heat red meats um, especially over medium rare when we're talking about a steak using high heat 
when it's over medium rare, there's too much acrylamide in it. It produces, I like to call it all free radicals. You create too many free radicals. It just makes it easier. Mm-hmm. There's other, it could be heterocyclic amines. It could be acrylamide. It could be trans fatty acid. These are all different words for the same outcome. The outcome is more free radical damage. So when you cook meat all the way through, it becomes a problem. Red meat's a little bit complicated because it doesn't apply as much to stewing uh, or boiling. If, if you keep it underneath a certain temperature, like if you keep it only at the boiling temperature, you can cook it all the way through. Any cook who's listening would say, what am I going to, how am I going to make stewing meats medium rare? You can't, you can't, it's not edible. You can stew meat. It's still going to have some acrylamide produced, but the people in the U S there's a 20 year longevity difference between the people in the Northwest and the Southeast. And the primary difference is the culture and how they cook their food. And out in the, the Northwest, they still stew, boil, bake, broil. They do all that stuff rather than deep fry. That's the, the major, major difference. So the red meat thing is basically if you have a steak, don't cook it more than medium rare. Rare is going to be even better. And if not, then don't use high heat. Low and slow is the golden rule. That's going to be for ground beef or stewing, right? You're stuck at a lower temperature for a longer time. That makes it safer. Baked potatoes are on the list because of the skin. And it's only when they're baked. Raw potato skin is also toxic, but I don't know anybody who eats raw potatoes. So if you, if you boil it, it's fine. If you bake it and it gets nice and crispy, that crispiness is a sign of too much free radical damage, too much acrylamide, too much trans fatty acids. And it's a weird one, but potato skins add up, right? Most of our audience is very health conscious. Out there in the real world, they're not that health conscious. We deal with people who drink and smoke on all this stuff all the time. But online, people are very, very health conscious. And so I like to use the cigarette example because most of these people would not dream of smoking a cigarette. But you take one big, nice baked potato, you pull the skin off that. That skin is pretty heavy. Wow. And that, that weighs more than several cartons of cigarettes. And none of these people would, would uh, consciously smoke a carton of cigarettes. You know, so they, you wow. shouldn't consume those potato skins as well. And uh, this, honestly, even if anyone's listening who smokes, it's part of the point here is that you're better off to smoke than you are to eat uh, French fries or, <laughs> or processed meat. Straight up. You can't spend wow. all day smoking. And it suppresses your hunger a little bit too. So less food. Even if the smoke was 100% free radicals, which it almost is, then it still doesn't compare to one baked potato skin, right? You can eat the potato, just don't eat the skin. That's sweet potato and yam as well. The other things on the list are pretty straightforward. Uh, uh, Processed meats, this is with nitrates, nitrites, or celery. I mentioned that. I know people like, oh, what can I eat? Just don't burn your meat. And processed meat isn't real food in the first place. And there's lots of brands out there that are saying, it's nitrate free because they re- the whole world recognizes that nitrates are a problem now. Mm-hmm. They'll say nitrate free, but you look on the list of ingredients and it's got celery powder or something in it. Celery is fine, but when you heat it, it turns into a nitrate, basically. So <laughs> very soon you'll see no celery in the, on the label either. No celery product. But uh, there is other ways to preserve meat. It's just more difficult salting and, and drying it out and it doesn't have as long a shelf life and whatever. But Processed meat, pretty much everybody agrees, contributes to uh, butt cancer, they call it, colorectal cancer. And so nothing causes, we talked about cancer earlier, nothing directly causes it. So it's not like hot dogs cause colorectal cancer, but they greatly contribute to it. They contribute to the pulp formation of this. It's good to consider here that no one really dies of colorectal cancer, in our opinion. They die of the treatment for colorectal cancer, right? We do not know how big of a problem the pulps are. And on autopsy, 
many people die of heart attack or stroke and you pull and you cut them open. I don't know this from firsthand experience. I know this from secondhand experience. You cut them open and they have pulps in the colon. It means they didn't die of the colon cancer. They died of a heart attack. Or they died of brain stroke or something like that. So we're not sure that they're a, a real threat. Either way, processed meat is going to contribute directly to the colorectal cancer. That's not controversial and that's not just from us. And it is just another source of free radical damage. It's not real food, right? So the other stuff on the list, uh, again, the oil and deep fried food are on there for the same reason. Too much free radical damage, especially oil that's, uh, especially the cheaper oils like canola oil, sunflower oil. But the longer, it's both time and heat is a factor in converting that oil to free radicals, turning it rancid, rotten, basically. So the longer it's been, or the more heat that's been exposed to it, the more chances uh, of that being uh, oxidized. This is just don't cook with oil. That's the main thing. Don't deep fry foods. That's that's it. Cook with there's butter. Certain, yeah, I was going to say, are there certain oils which are okay? Or would you say that they're all bad? Animal fats are much more stable. So animal fats aren't going to start oxidizing sitting out on the counter. They're easier to cook with for that reason. Butter holds the least amount of temperature before it's smoke point. Ghee or clarified butter holds much more temperature before it burns, which is called the smoke point. Animal fats like duck fat and the lard, these are also very good for high temperature. Several of the longest of populations use lard, pig fat even. Uh, only some of them avoid pig, by the way. Pig's not on our list, just don't burn it. But yeah, just don't cook with oil. They never did that in the, in the longest of populations. The Hunza people have something close to a deep fried for special occasion. They'll use apricot oil. Um, it's very hard to press that by hand without machines. Yeah. They will use it, they will heat it up, and they will deep fry their things in it on very rare occasions. But the uh, point with that is that you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be a monk. You know, but if you get out these, these main things, especially in your habitual time, then uh, you can have the odd piece of this or that. And it's literally, it's not going to kill you, you know, the yeah. odd piece of processed meat or something. But follow the rest of this stuff, especially low calorie, and then you know, there's not that much overall damage. Eat deep fried once a week it very well it might kill you you know but so the red meats burn meat burn anything burn animal fat charred food that's all the same reason free radical damage and we've gone through most of the list here the only thing left is the gluten and the grains uh, we didn't really cover that very much yeah the longest of pop let's go into that actually <laughs> longest of populations including the hunza do eat some form of gluten but uh, all of them, I'm pretty sure they do have some form of it, or they're not adverse to it. They'll eat whatever's there for the most part. But uh, as mentioned, it was a different grain back then. Now the modern GMO wheat stock is much shorter and it has a bigger protein. So it's uh, better for commercial reasons. It's worse for health reasons, basically. So the ancient grains are fundamentally different. Number one, number two, you already heard that. Uh, they use wood ashes and bone meal and other things. They'll throw spices and herbs and uh, other good stuff into their breads and soups and stews and puddings and whatever it is that they're using the flour for. It's going to be fortified with these other, other good things in it as well. Again, particularly the bone meal and the wood ash. And number three, they don't eat that much food in general. And they don't eat that much gluten in general. So there's no birthday cake. You know, the, the Hunza of people might eat a little piece of japati bread every day, but it is quite genuinely a little piece there isn't a whole bunch of other food to, to burden the system. That piece is going to be a lot less inflammatory than our modern wheat. Inflammatory means this is what we call gluten intolerance. It's like um, poison ivy on the inside. Put a little piece of poison ivy on the skin, you'll have a rash for a couple of weeks maybe. 
On the inside, it's the same thing. And it's pretty much everybody has what we call gluten intolerance because this inflammation is just, uh, it's rampant. Might not have happened to grandpa back when, you know, back in the day, but the wheat has changed. And there's uh, a lot of older people getting symptoms now that they never had before, even though they've been eating wheat for their whole life. Could but you, the inflammation. Could you break down what's, what's the difference in the gluten now? Or it's the, bigger the and there's more of it. Okay. It's bigger, there's more of it, and there's less mitigating factors such as the minerals in the food. Right. So if you were to eat an ancient grain and you didn't have a gluten intolerance, and by the way, I think those of us being born now, I'm 32, the people who are younger than me are likely to have much more of a visible gluten intolerance. And even within families, my two younger siblings have it, had it very obviously more than I did because we're being born weaker and weaker. And so mm -hmm. we have less... Uh, protection against inflammation. So 200 years ago, they probably would have tolerated it much better. But yeah, the plant has fundamentally changed. We've bred it to be different. We've bred it to be more harmful in essence, although that was not the purpose. And we have more of it. We just have way too much of it. Compound that with the fact that instead of having wood ashes and bone meal and other good things with the flour, we've now primarily got sugar. It's primarily just processed flour and processed sugar. And actually, Way before Dr. Wallach, uh, Dr. Weston A. Price, he wrote a, a massive mandatory reading book, I consider it, called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. And he went around, he was a dentist. He went around the world looking for the causes of dental cavities, caries, they called them. And he instead found that all of the primitive populations that he could find, those that had been in contact with the, the white man, you call it, and the white powders, flour and sugar, were essentially destroyed. And he documented this. He documented their physical degeneration, specifically in the mouth, but all throughout the body. Being introduced to these foods ruined our health. And that is even with their traditional lifestyles intact. So if they were fishermen, they were still out fishing, still eating the traditional things. But the white powders destroyed their health. So that was over 100 years ago. It's absolutely the same today. Uh, it's good that some of them are fortified, whatever, but it's, it's most definitely not enough. And people look into life hack, whether you believe it or not, if you get off gluten, it's probably going to be the number one thing to improve your life. Again, this is free information. We don't market our supplements saying that uh, you'll think better and quicker and faster. You know, we, we market mostly about disease prevention and reversal. And most of the people who come to us are talking about disease reversal and prevention. And if you actually have a disease, obviously it's going to improve your life to get rid of one. But if you don't have one, it will most definitely improve your productivity and life satisfaction to not be sick, to not be in pain, to not have to take days off, to not let, let alone something crazy like get an actual diagnosis. You never have to go through any of the stress of a, of a diagnosis or misdiagnosis for that matter, any of the, the experience of the medical world, if you take care of yourself. Those longest lived populations don't have hospitals, they don't have doctors, and contrary to popular Western thought, they don't even have medicine men and shamans and stuff like that. Not really. It's very basic. There might be some, it's usually grandma that's doing the, the health care for the family, basically. And there'd be two, three, four, five generations under one roof. That's how a lot of these people live. That's probably part of their longevity formula, too, by the way. Their family beliefs, all of them are religious in some form. All of them. There isn't one of the longest of populations that is not religious. So... I sort of lost my point here, but the, the point is that there's, uh, there's many other factors why these foods are not going to be harming them as much. The primary one is yeah. the food has changed and they don't eat as much of it. Yeah, but today yeah. they were talking about yeah. processed bread and even 
even gluten-free cookies in a box. It's going to come with other crap in it, processed sugar, oils, very, very likely. Those oils are probably cheap, probably been oxidized for a couple of years. No joke. They were probably um, captured a couple of years ago, probably sat on shelves. Even coconut oil. It's just one of the reasons why people are like, well, what about coconut oil? It's solid at room temperature. Well, it is right now when you bought it at the grocery store, but I've seen, you know, I've seen coconut oil where it's procured out there in the jungle. And oftentimes it's sitting there in steaming hot, open air warehouses with a tin roof over it in the tropical sun. So they're not sitting there at, the, at room temperature. They're sitting there hot and they're oxidizing as they're going on. So you just avoid all this stuff because even, even if they had oil out there in the, the Hunza Valley, they, they do, they're pressing it right there. They're not really applying heat to it unless it's a couple times a year, like you say, special occasions. But it's going to be oxidizing a lot less, a lot less rapidly, and for the most part, they're going to be consuming it quite soon after they've made it. Mm. I use a lot of coconut oil, to be honest with you. It's hard to, I mean, it says organic, so I'm thinking, well, you know what, it must be good. But you, I guess you could, you never know. Um, you, you try and do good. You try and be, buy the best ingredients. Um, yeah, but all, all the other rancid type oils, um, yeah, I, I, I steer clear from. Yeah. Let's hit something really important here. Mediterranean diet is where the, uh, the idea came from to use oils. It didn't come from the lungs of populations, it came from the Mediterranean diet. The Mediterranean diet was an advertising campaign to promote a product called Crisco. Most people heard of Crisco, but it's a, it's a precursor to modern hydrogenated oils or margins it's vegetable oil base basically and margin and crisco are separate things but crispo crisco uh company called procter and gamble big company still in existence bought the uh, patent for it and uh, this was crisco was diesel engine lubricant in the world wars so after the world war they didn't have much reason for it yes it's lubricant vegetable vegetable oil based lubricant and they wanted to sell it as a food but uh, <laughs> most of the people were the American people, British people, they were still cooking with butter and, and ghee and lard like they always had been, their forefathers had been. So they weren't interested in cooking with oil. They had to create the advertising campaign of the Mediterranean diet to convince the people that oil was something that we should consume or that we should avoid fat and cholesterol, basically, which is an entire myth. Uh, fat gives us more energy than cholesterol. It, uh, sorry, fat gives us more energy than carbs. If we want to fatten livestock up, we give them grains right? That's it. So this is a big part of the reason why we're fat. We're eating too many grains, too many carbs. And the uh, Mediterranean diet is a legitimate conspiracy. It's not a conspiracy theory. A man named Ansel Keys was the head of Procter Gamble. And he was also on the board of the American Heart Association. And he uh, procured a deal where Procter and Gamble, Procter and Gamble literally gave them $1.7 million, which is a lot of money back then. Can't remember the year, early 20th century. $1.7 million in order to come up with the Mediterranean diet and to back the Mediterranean diet. So this is a, a buddy partnership between a food company and the American Heart Association. And they literally created the campaign that has convinced us a generation later that oils are a better choice than butter. And obviously, you know, just by looking around the health world, it's leaning heavy towards the vegan these days. And there's a, there's a lot to say about that. But when it comes to these longest of populations, again, none of them are vegan, none of them at all. And although some of them do have access to oils, first of all, apricots are a, a pretty um, different type of food. And if you've ever heard of vitamin B17, 
you know, the, the magic vitamin, this is what they were saying was the cure for cancer. Now I'm not claiming that. And the only things that are truly vitamins in our books are called vitamins because they're completely essential means you get a disease without them. And there is no B17 officially, officially, but this is one of the compounds in apricot seeds, which they use to press to get the oil that uh, they're saying is one of the greatest compounds out there. So if, even if the oil is oxidized, they're going to be getting some of that magic vitamin. And that's just for one thing. But uh, they didn't cook with it regularly. It's not a daily thing. They don't have very much money. They spend a lot of their time out there in the fields. They will eat a lot of apricots themselves, but they're not going to be pressing oil every day and cooking regularly with oil. They'll be cooking with uh, fat, mostly from sheep and goats and Hunza. But in the rest of the world, in the, like the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica, they're also a blue zone. They'll be cooking with lard primarily. And yeah, most of them will have butter, clarified butter, ghee, that sort of thing on hand. But animal fat seems to be the preferred cooking method. So mm -hmm. we, we suffer from abundance in our modern world. A lot of us, when we get the idea to do something good, we go out and do it every day. You know, I use the example of a banana. People think it's healthy to eat a banana every day. And I don't mean to, for anybody listening to be like, wow, this guy's saying everything is bad. No, it's not. So don't, don't eat burnt meat. Don't eat deep fried food. Don't eat the skins of baked potatoes. Processed meat is obvious. Carbonated drinks is also on our list, by the way, but it's not a, a hugely extensive list. And everything else, there's just some things to know. Bananas, there's no such thing as a banana that looks like these big yellow things that we have that are 12 inches long or whatever. That does not exist in nature. Uh, natural banana is much smaller. In any fruit or something, the, the bigger the ratio of peel to flesh, I mean, the more peel there is for less flesh, the more nutritious it is. That's why berries are much more nutritious than an apple, for example. In our modern farming and breeding, we've bred everything to be bigger, just like the wheat. We've bred bananas to be bigger, apples to be bigger, strawberries to be gigantic compared to what they are in the wild. And this all reduces its actual nutritional ratio because there's more nutrients in the peel than there is in the flesh. So point being, in the wild, the banana is much smaller, tastes different, doesn't taste as sweet because it has a lower sugar content. And the people also tend to eat the peels. They tend to bake the peels. I don't know if baked banana skins are the same as baked potato skins, but if they're hard, they would be. But they don't use to get that hard. And they can boil them as well, and they can eat the peels. So um, people who are eating a banana every day in the modern world, this is just a, a consequence of our abundance. You wouldn't be able to do that in the banana in the, in the, in the wild. You, bananas aren't ripe all the time lemons aren't ripe all the time you know everything is seasonal you don't have constant access to almost anything with very few exceptions of course with meat and everything too all these people have zero way to store anything so they don't they if they make a kill it's a feast they eat it there that's it and otherwise they keep their animals around for the milk and butter stuff like that they're not mm -hmm. like killing animals and eating them every single day they're not eating too much food because they don't have the ability to eat too much food when it comes to coconut oil and stuff like that, again, just like we'd have to mill our own flour, we'd have to press our own oil. So it, you would be a, a, a king in a lot of these blue zone locations if you could afford or convince other people to press you oil every day or to have enough where you could take a spoonful of coconut oil every day. Like you'd literally have to be rich to do that. So this is just a curse of abundance. A lot of the things, these longest of populations don't know why. They live as long as they do. They don't know what it is about their lifestyle that uh, gives them an edge. If you look at interviews for 100-year-olds, a lot of them will, will say naps is the reason that they live so long. I take a nap every day. That's actually a very common thing where 100-year-olds say, or they say, oh, you know, I just have a good attitude. 
something simple. They don't, they don't realize that it's all of the, these accidental things that added up to it. And one of those accidental things is that it's a lot easier to get a chunk of lard and cook with it for two months straight than it is to squeeze a coconut or an apricot into, into an oil. Yeah. And by the way, apricot seeds can be pressed. So same with olives. People say, can I have olive oil? I say, yeah, no problem. If you put it in a food processor yourself, you make your own oil and you don't heat it and you consume it in a reasonable amount of time, then you can have your own oil. That's no problem. Coconut is a different story. Coconut oil is usually made by solvent. So you'll see extra virgin coconut oil, but you won't see that on, sorry, you'll see extra virgin olive oil or something, but you won't see that with, uh, with coconut oil because coconut oil is usually not pressed. It's usually the flesh is dissolved by a solvent. So the, the coconut itself might be organic, but the process of turning a coconut oil into, sorry, a coconut into commercial coconut oil is quite a lot different. Than, um, than you would think just, again, pressing an olive or pressing an apricot seed or something like that. It's not the same. Some some do say cold pressed on there. Would that still? be okay? Yeah. They're yeah, probably still I've... using solvents. Solvents. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Which is a very weird thing if you think about it. A lot of us are trying to be natural, having the flesh dissolved with a solvent and then another solvent added after to get rid of the, the residue of the first solvent. None of this really sounds good. None of it sounds studied well enough to me. Uh, it's not natural at all. And it's mm -hmm. not that you know, everything that's natural is good. Like we're saying, you can burn your food all naturally. You can burn your organic food and it, it turns it bad. But uh, I don't trust the solvent process. And either way, this whole thing is like, if oils are a potential problem, for us, it's been easier just to outlaw them because it, it, we're creatures of habit too. That same curse of abundance, whatever it is that you get in your head to do, you'll probably do that every day. And if it's a banana every day, that's not so good. If it's cooking with oil every day, that's not so good. But if you switch that process and realize that it's actually easier and it's completely simple and all this just to cook with regular animal fats, like again, like our forefathers did, and you don't need oil. It's easier just to ban it. It's easier just to, to totally banish it rather than have people understand the full complexities of playing with this fire because it is fire. And if you don't know the, the sources of it, and again, if you add any heat to it at all, even though coconut oil technically has quite a high smoke point, we'd rather not, you not play with that fire. We'd rather not get into this uh, complicated conversation. We'd rather you not have the, and this just goes for our regular customers. We, we don't want them playing with coconut oil. You don't, you don't need to. There's no direct benefit to it. Um, let me qualify that. Just like the apricot seeds, if, uh, even though it's going to have a lot of free radicals in it, it is going to have some of the good compounds in it too. Same reason, same with cod liver oil. Cod liver oil has been a very uh, popular supplement for a long time. So even if it's been sitting in a bottle for a while and it, it is oxidized and it is causing oxidative stress on the body more than is necessary, it is still going to have those omegas and vitamins in it. And that's why people are still going to get a result from it. But I said it's not necessary because you don't need to consume oil to get those omegas or to get those vitamins. We can supplement with those, number one. Number two, other foods make them. And uh, you can eat the cod. You know, you can eat the cod liver, don't need to eat the cod liver oil. Expensive supplements, you're in the UK, so I don't know any brands to reference. But in Europe, you can get supplements. In America, it's usually by physician's prescription. Like if you get Omega prescription from a doctor, if you look at the actual wholesale price, it's probably going to be pretty high, even though insurance pays for it. That's because good companies, and there are some in Europe, and there are some in North America, but they're physician's prescription other than us. I'm sure there's a couple other companies 
They inject their capsules with nitrogen to prevent oxygen from permeating the membrane. That's just something that doesn't happen with bottled oils, right? In, in nature, the, there's oil in every tissue in nature, but it's protected from oxidation by the skin, the peel, or the shell. So as soon as that's punctured, oxidation is starting to take place. By injecting a capsule with nitrogen, which is an expensive process, that blocks that. So the only safe way to consume oil is either in the food itself, right? Eat, catch a fresh fish and eat it. No problem. It's going to have those fish oils in it. It's going to have the omegas in it. And there's no problem with oxidation, especially if you don't burn it. But the only safe way other than that to do it is to encapsulate it and inject it with nitrogen. So that's all. It's way more complicated than, than people need to worry about. They need to have some trust in these ideas, first of all. But if they just ditch the liquid oils, you're probably adding years to your life. And when it when we come full circle with this, those free radicals are causing the types of damage that requires antioxidants to clean up. Selenium is one of the most important antioxidants here because you need to use that for your own glutathione molecules in almost all your cells. Consuming more of these free radicals will deplete your selenium more for this reason, because the more free radicals you have, the more antioxidants your body will deploy. It'll deploy whatever it can to deal with that problem. And it needs essential nutrients to do that in that process. Therefore, you're depleting the essential nutrients. And the full circle of this is that all these serious health problems, like we started off with crib death, that's cardiomyopathy, heart attack in infants. It's just a bigger problem in adults as well, cardiomyopathy, heart attack, athlete's heart, and um, even fibrosis, muscular dystrophy. These, you can have forms of these later on, even though those are childhood diseases. So if you're eating more oil in order to be healthy, like coconut oil or something, using that to be the healthy choice, you're really depleting yourself of the most important of the nutrients that are already missing, right? And um, mm. that's it. So that's all there is to it. Cost for cost, it's pretty similar to cook with oil and, and to cook with butter. It's yeah. pretty much the same in the modern world. It's not a big deal. You got to control it a little bit more. It's easier to be lazy and to stir fry something because you don't need to watch it that much. And uh, people are scared. I'm going into detail here because this is about life hacks and stuff like these things. You change these things. You're, you're dramatically improving your chances out there. Even if you don't buy the supplements, you're getting rid of these major damages. There's not much to it. You got to watch it a little bit more. People are worried about sticking on the pan. It's not a concern. We recommend cast iron. It will, anything will stick to it. If you burn it, you can clean it off quite easily. No problem with the, the chain cloth, but um, you have to pay a little bit more attention to it. That's the truth. It's yeah. just like uh, grandma would be doing out in those blue zones. She's paying attention to the food. She's not putting it on deep fry mode and walking away. You know, there's no, uh, no pressure cookers or anything like this. It's most things take time and attention and that's fine. Let me say within this circling back onto the life hack aspect of this, this is not part of our regular sales pitch, but it is the truth that when you have all of the nutrients in your body, you are less hungry. When, um, when a, cow or a horse or a goat or a pig starts eating the barn they start chewing on the barn they start chewing on the handles of tools they start eating leather gloves uh, they start you know chewing on old bones around the fields this is called pica and the cribbing is the action the biting the gnawing the chewing that's called cribbing it's a symptom of what we call pica in animals the farmer has to give those, those animals a trace mineral salt block and it will stop the behavior we know that we know how to do this Humans, we call this behavior munchies. And instead of giving ourselves a salt block or trace minerals, we give ourselves uh, candy or uh, uh, chocolate or, you know, chips, anything like this. 
the real craving is probably for water and salt primarily, and then the trace minerals. So you can supplement with all those trace minerals. We do recommend that. We do sell that. Yes. When you have all those, your body's not looking for them in food, right? You'll never stop being hungry if, if, you're, adequately, if you're inadequately nourished. And salt is one of those huge, huge ones. We don't sell salt. We give away this information because most of the time that we're actually hungry, we're really actually thirsty and we need salt. And so you can, you can life hack the heck out of yourself by anytime that you're hungry, anytime, assume that it's thirst first, put some salt into that water to the point where you can just taste it. Chances are you're going to knock out most of your hunger. Most of us need to eat way less than we're, we're eating. Now I can tell you, Roger, I can tell that you work out and you're, you're active. That means you're going to be hungrier than the average person. But I was into bodybuilding back in the day too. And I, I know now, because I've done it on this uh, new regime, you can gain muscle very, very easily without breaking a sweat and without having that ravenous hunger that comes with the athletic lifestyle. You'll need to eat a little bit more, but it doesn't need to be drastically more. Mm-hmm. Talking about money, food is one of the biggest expenses that, people's, that people have. We just went into detail on why some of those foods are killing us. But that's all there kind of is. You know, people say, what do I eat? Well, there's a whole world of vegetables and a whole world of fruits and don't burn your meats and you can have eggs. And that's, that's all fine. But no matter what, you start eating too much, it's going to be a problem. You can eat vegetables all day and still be fat. I've seen it. You see it all the time. Vegetables. People, <clears throat> people can't stop eating. They're foraging all the time because the body's hungry for nutrients that are simply not in the food. All that's in food that we're going to count is going to be a little bit of fat, a little bit of protein, uh, a little bit of carbs, you know, some phytonutrients, minimal, it's bare minimum, but we're supposed to intake food with a proper proportion of nutrients to process those foods. And anyways, point being, if we, if we know this and we can recognize this, you can hack this. If you're craving for sugar, especially sugar, or even chips, drink a glass of salty water first. If you're specifically hungry for sugar and you have crazy sugar cravings, you might have something like candida, actually, that you might need to kill but you can probably hack that by eating protein instead. And I'm talking about a little piece of meat might save you from eating a large piece of cake kind of thing. Because your body really wants protein, trace minerals, and salt and water more than actual food. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Ryan, that was absolutely incredible, man. Incredible stuff. Seriously. These things here, it's, it's quite amazing. Just, you know, following a few simple steps is is a great life hack. And I think um, if you, if we're just talking about food for a moment, if you, the moment you start eating any kind of crappy foods, you will start to crave more crappy food. And it's a bit of a vicious cycle really, because you need to, it's, it's, it's like a drug and it keeps calling you and you, you need to go cold Turkey on it and, just not have it. And as you say, have the essential nutrients which your body is craving for. And I guess stop feeding the bad bacteria, really. Um, you know, it's said that, um, uh, you know, a lot of serotonin is created in the in the gut. So, um, but yeah, like, it's like whatever you feed the gut, it's like how you're going to feel and how are you going to respond to one thing I wanted to ask you was what's your thoughts on the, on probiotics, which is currently available. Um, it's, it's become a very big thing at the moment. Um, I don't know if you take 
probiotics, but there's there's a wide range of them now, and it seems to be a big thing. Um, what's your thing? What's your thoughts on these gut friendly bacteria? Well, strictly to be an essential nutrient, you have to get a disease without it. Number one, and you can't make it yourself in your body. Number two. So for that second reason, probiotics are not officially essential in, in terms of the essential nutrients, but they are essential to digest and to have an immune system of any kind. So the, these are highly involved in digestion, the end stages of digestion. Let's, uh, let's break this down a little bit. Digestion starts in the mouth. It starts with enzymes being produced in the mouth. So actually it starts even in the, in the brain. First, you think about being hungry. It's just why the dog salivates when it's coming to mealtime. You think about being hungry, your mouth starts secreting enzymes that are going to be the first stage of breaking down that food. Problem can go wrong there just by eating quickly, eating not mindfully, just being in a rush, grabbing something to eat, putting it in your mouth. Maybe you don't have enough enzymes there to start that first stage digestion. That can be a problem. Second biggest problem that people have is lack of stomach acid. You mentioned salt. It's definitely worth mentioning that salt makes stomach acid. Sodium chloride the chloride makes the hydrogen chloride, which is stomach acid. You need a strong stomach acid to break down foods and to absorb nutrients from those foods. That acidity is what primes most of the nutrients for being absorbed in the intestine. When, it gets, when that food material gets into the intestine, it's met with bile from the gallbladder and liver, releases bile and enzymes, and there's probiotics in the intestine, all throughout the intestine. Most of them are at the end, but it is there at this top stage. This stage is critical. The bile converts that food material to alkaline. It's highly acid in the stomach and it turns it alkaline in the intestine. We've all heard that alkalinity is key for health. We've all heard that acidity feeds cancer and all this. This is key to what it actually means to be alkaline. It's not on what you eat. It's you can eat meats, you can drink coffee, you can even drink alcohol. You can do that every day, but you need to compensate that with the nutrients that make you alkaline, including salt probably heard people say salt is the most alkalizing thing i would call it calcium but you need salt to absorb calcium anyways proper balance of the nutrients but most importantly if that acidic food doesn't get converted to alkalinity maybe you don't have, maybe you have a liver problem gallbladder problem it's not producing enough bile something like that not producing enough enzymes then that highly acidic food starts to travel down the intestine it was supposed to be alkaline so that it can be absorbed into the villi Inside of the intestines, like an inverted shag carpet with all these finger-like things called villi and microvilli, mm. that's there to expand the surface area to absorb nutrients. We've all heard the, the intestines' surface area like stretches to the moon or something like that. That's because mm. the surface area is expanded by all those finger-like little things. Those are pretty delicate tissues. Number one, we can damage that by eating gluten. That's what we're talking about with the poison ivy thing. Mm. Poison ivy on the inside with the gluten basically means those finger-like things swell up. They get inflamed. And that even though they're swollen, they have less surface area now to absorb nutrients. So getting rid of gluten allows you to absorb more. But um, I know I'm going super long here, but if you understand digestion, you understand why probiotics are going to be important because it is within this conversion process now that the food is primed to be absorbed. And it's all throughout the guts after that, that probiotics are directly involved in either helping to break down that food further or to absorb it directly in. If you don't have enough probiotics, you're going to have a massive problem. You could have a problem in the mouth. Most likely, the digestion problem is going to be lack of stomach acid or lack of probiotics. That's going to be the second biggest one. It is a bit of a fad right now. 
Um, I think the heart of your question was like, is it worth it to supplement with it? Something like that. I'm just yeah. kind of sensing that because there's lots of quality issues. Obviously, some of them are in the fridge and some of them are not. Why? Because bacteria, probiotics are good bacteria. They're living bacteria. And to keep them alive, they need to keep them in the fridge unless they've been um, micro encapsulated or something like that. But generally, there's a huge difference between supplements on the shelf. Some of them are going to be totally dead, basically, going to have nothing in it. The ones in the fridge are generally better. Um, we have a daily dose in our regular products. We got a whole bunch of products, but the main ones that people will be taking as their daily multi will have a daily dose of micro encapsulated probiotics. But uh, the big but here is that you can eat with it. You can eat probiotics. Uh, there's no such thing. Like those longest of populations, they don't take any supplements, but they do actually supplement, if that makes sense. They don't buy supplements, but they're supplementing minerals into their fields. Therefore, there's more minerals in the plants. They're supplementing their foods with the wood ashes and with the bone meal. They don't think about it that way, but that's, that's what it is. They don't do that with probiotics. There's no equivalent for that. They have to eat the probiotics. And we don't have to supplement with it, but it can just speed it up. People can also get negative reactions to some strains of probiotics. So you might have to play with it a little while. It can look like a sickness, basically. Don't mean to scare anybody, but it, it can happen. It's a, just people say, I tried taking probiotics and I got extremely sick. Well, that can happen. You'll need different strains. But it is worth supplementing with. It is worth, um, it is worth trying to eat fermented foods regularly. It doesn't need to be every day. Remember, it's not totally essential because we can actually reproduce these colonies in our body. The, they're going to they're gonna keep dividing and stuff like that without us. You mentioned right. you don't want to feed the bad bacteria. This is, when we're talking about disease, this is, it all starts with digestion. Basically, if your digestion is clean, you can now absorb these nutrients. Um, if you eat too much carbs and sugar, yes, it feeds the bad bacteria. If you have some sort of parasite in you, chances are that parasite is getting, giving you cravings to eat more sugar. It's one of the worst parts about candida is you almost have to chain people down to get them to stop eating sugar. They'll seriously, people that you love and trust will sneak out in the middle of the night to go buy a candy bar because they have this like uh, drug addiction level of infatuation with sugar. It's the craving that's causing this. What causes those parasites is an overgrowth of the bad bacteria or lack of probiotics, lack of probiotics. The probiotics create the good environment for you to be healthy in. As soon as there's not enough of them for whichever reason, we mentioned C-section babies. Well, they tend to have serious immune problems because of this. Because without good bacteria, you can get an overrun of fungus or candida or any, any number of things. They can have chronic UTIs, chronic ear infections. You hear this stuff all the time. This could ricochet through the body. The appendix, uh, the mainstream medical world still calls it vestigial. They say we don't need it. Well, the appendix is a, basically a warehouse of good bacteria. So we do need it. And people without an appendix are going to have an immune problem for the rest of their life unless they go overboard with the probiotics. Saying all this because there's certain people, if you've had any organ taken out or any gland taken out, uh, particularly the, the appendix, you want to go heavier on probiotics for the rest of your life. If you currently have a digestive problem, you want to go heavy on probiotics now till that's done. Um, and this, this could be digestive enzyme product as well. I know I'm making it too complicated. Some digestive no, no, enzyme products come with probiotics. That's a good idea because you hit both at once. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned the main problems that you're going to have in digestion. One's going to be lack of salt. That's easy. You just drink salt. And anyone can message us anytime, by the way. I have my contact info here somewhere. But we give everyone what's called salt flush. 
to, to get rid of that, make sure that they're topped up on their salt no matter what. That takes five minutes. Digestive enzymes would be the next thing. You can actually supplement with digestive enzymes if you have a digestive problem. That whole bile meeting the food particles in the intestine, that bile came from the gallbladder. Gallbladder is a little sac that sits underneath the liver. Anyway, you can supplement with that. You can get a product that has bile in it, that has enzymes in it, and that has probiotics in it at the exact same time to really fix the digestion. Because uh, we mentioned going gluten-free here. It's going to be one of the big things to improve digestion. A lot of people, though, can go gluten-free and still have a digestive problem. And that's going to be a lack of probiotics, basically. Would you suggest uh, prebiotics as well? Or what would you say are good prebiotics? Uh, like, okay, so prebiotic supplements um, or, um, or and um, prebiotic type foods, which is good for the probiotics prebiotics is a little bit more of a scam in my opinion okay it's mostly food it's like starch basically you know so mm. you just eat good food and you should have enough there for your, your probiotics to eat basically even though our, our products they also have a, a prebiotic blend in it i don't think it's necessary because you should be able to just get that from food the only thing we're saying you can't get from food are the micronutrients but things like uh, things like starches and phyto phytonutrients, you know, from a from fruits and stuff and vegetables, that's what prebiotics really is. So you just eat good food. Okay, that's cool. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks for that, Ryan. Um, that was amazing. Can you let us know where people can find you on social media? Because I know that you run Dr. Wallach's page. Is it Wallach? Is that where you pronounce it? Yeah, Wallach's Warriors is the name of that page. Yeah, Wallach's Warriors. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. But um, I know you've got your own page. Is that right, Ryan Alexander? I'm, I've got a bunch of different pages, actually. Okay. Uh, the Wallach's Warriors one is the main one. I've made a website to make it easier to find all of my links that I can say on audio without it being confusing. Right. It's noticebooks.org and notice is spelled not us, but that's my, uh, it's my alternative name, noticebooks.org. All of the links, all of my books, all of my audiobooks, all that stuff, but all of our social media accounts, we've got like four YouTubes, uh, we've got like six Instagrams doing different things. Some of them is for distributors of so business information. Um, some of them is for, for more advanced. We have a Warriors Advanced page. Oh, wow. I have a page on cell phone towers called Transcend Towers. It's all about cell phone towers. I have my art page and my personal page as well. And rather than naming them all, you can just go to noticebooks.org. We do go into much greater detail on um, all of this health stuff. I do have a book sort of on half of the coin, which is called Fake Diseases. Working currently on the second half. A lot of what you and I talked about today, Roger, is the second half of the coin. How do people actually get their nutrients in the wild? You know, what does real nutrition even mean? And um, I would like to just sort of wrap this up too into the, the life hack thing, because that's what your, your audience would be interested in mostly. A lot of what we do when it's coming out of context like this, like just being invited on to speak, it sounds more like a sales pitch than, uh, than it really is. In reality, we're going to give this information out regardless of who buys what, where, none of that matters. But to improve, improve in your life, this is absolutely key. I mean, to me, I started this, I was in pain 24 seven, you know, some days are worse than others, but 
it's very hard to be productive when you're in pain all the time. It's very, it's very hard to be happy when you're in pain all the time. And if you're not in pain all the time, that is fantastic, but you definitely want to continue on living a healthy life. I mean, it's, you, you don't have to be a, a jogger. I hate jogging. I hate salads. I grew up smoking and spray painting straight up, right? You don't have to be a health freak at all to um, appreciate what it's like to function properly. And just functioning properly, this means you don't get headaches. You don't get uh, irritable because you haven't eaten in a few hours. You know, you don't have to go out of your way and eat three, four times a day and all this stuff. I mean, it's once you're on this side of the fence and you realize that it's just a system, you don't need to pay the conscious attention. Once you know that what to avoid, you just avoid them. Once you know what supplements to take, you just take them. That's five seconds of your day. And it becomes very annoying to hang out with people who are not on this level. I'm talking about business people, smart people, dumb people. It doesn't matter. If they're complaining about being hungry all the time and they're complaining about their health problems and they're getting too tired, they can't, they can't work 14 hours straight, whatever it needs that you need the hustle to get forward in life. I can't stand people who are not on this healthy tip now because it's, it's annoying and they're spending more time complaining than eating so much time eating you know when we could be getting to work we could be we could be doing this we could be doing that we could be planning to push ourselves forward right life hacks we need time to do this and if you don't if you don't sleep properly if you got headaches if you you know are worried about your digestion you got some problem in your life let's let's end this on this note the buddhists have something called the second arrow or the second thorn the first arrow is going to be the actual problem you know, you step on a rock and you hurt your foot. Uh, you can heal. We're all going to catch first thorns in our life. We're all going to get uh, sick now and then. We're going to catch some bug or something like that. We're going to break a bone. You know, so, some kind of thorn is going to happen in life. People die. You know, this is completely out of our control. We're going to have things that, that upset us and stuff. The second arrow or the second thorn is all the pain and the misery and the frustration and the cost that comes along with trying to deal with the first problem. A lot of us are experiencing arrows that we go to a doctor for and they give us some expensive, painful thing that might not work. Anyways, you ask a doctor, hey, is this chemotherapy going to work? If they're honest, they will probably say chances are not good, right? Hey, doc, what is my life going to be like after this knee replacement? I realize we're probably talking to younger people here, but hey, this is, this is down the road. Hey, doc, what are my chances on this knee replacement? If he's honest, he'll probably say, you know what? Some people feel an improvement in their life. A lot of them don't, but... It's not a very, it's not a very strong, um, hopeful prognosis. Basically, is your life going to improve after this procedure or after this drug? Honest answer is probably not. So that second arrow, this is where the second arrow comes in. In the modern world, you can catch or not catch, you can develop a problem such as diabetes, type two diabetes. Not actually a big problem. Now you go to a doctor, you're going to get second, third, fourth, fifth arrows from the stress that's involved, from the poison drugs that they're giving you from your mentality as a victim identifying with a problem, right? I am a victim of this disease. All of this is going to hold you down in life. So just knowing these simple things, knowing that by avoiding the bad foods and by taking the appropriate essential nutrients, you can avoid most health problems in life. That means you can avoid a lot of those first arrows in the first place, and you can avoid nearly all of the second arrows because you know what to do about it, right? Even something simple like guy gets sick and he, he has to miss work the next day. The sickness isn't that big of a deal. If you listen to his grandmother, he would rest and drink soup, you know, sleep it off, basically drink a lot of water. But if he's uh, caught up in the modern world, he might be stressing himself even sicker, thinking about how upset his boss is going to be and how far behind the deadline all this stuff is. 
he can speed that recovery up with good nutrition. Probably not. Probably needs to ride it, ride it out anyways. Probably not the greatest example. But yeah, point being here is that you can escape most of the misery of life. And when it comes down to productivity and all that stuff, this is that's all secondary to your basic health. It's just much harder to get through your day, especially if it's a hardcore hustle plan. It's really hard to get through that when you have a sore neck, sore back, headache, stomach ache, you know, you name it. And a lot of times too, I know uh, I should wrap this up, but a lot of times too, what's holding us down is the people around us too. Maybe your wife's sick. You can't do a dang thing about it because you don't know it. You don't know about this, but you have to take her to the doctor, right? You have, you have to put up with her misery, all this kind of, that's going to bring you down, right? So you can clear all these cobwebs out of life by being healthy yourself and by helping the people around you get healthy and this none of this is that complicated like i said those longest of populations don't really have shaman and stuff like that i don't really have medicine men they don't really need medicine men they just got grandma who knows a little bit more and it's going to help take care of you when you're sick other than that everyone just does the basic stuff and they can just get on with their business constantly without being bogged down with again doctor's appointments and headaches and stomach aches and all the all this other misery Yes, yes, yes. Powerful, man. Powerful. A lot of the things which we need to do is very basic, just simple, as you put it, you know, just eat clean, eat what you're supposed to eat, you know, um, food, which is not bastardized and with synthetics and preferably more organically grown, maybe go out in nature, do some walk, get some sunlight on your skin and try and be happy as well try and not stress over stuff um just yeah taking it back to some of indigenous tribes just keeping it very 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 simple look ryan that was amazing that like real in-depth stuff there thank you so much i'm going to put all your details in the show notes so people can find you and your work um and you mentioned you have a book is that right I've got several books. The one several. that is okay. completely on health is called Fake Diseases. Yes. Fake Diseases. Okay. Is that on Amazon? It is on Amazon. On my website, noticebooks.org. You can also find the links to my YouTube and um, there's an audiobooks thing there. So the, the video read along version is free. It's got to put up with me reading it to you. <laughs> and it's on podcast as well. So you can find those links for free on noticebooks.org or you can buy the, buy the paperback. It's only $9.99. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ryan. It has been fantastic. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you for having me. And anytime you want to call me back, no problem. Will do. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely have another discussion another time. Cool. You take care, sir. Thank you. You have a great day. See you. Thank you for tuning in today's episode. Any guests which I have on the show really provide some golden nuggets and useful life-changing tips So always feel free to check out their social media platforms or website links, which will be written in the show notes. These shows are financed by my sponsors, so your contributions are always greatly appreciated. Any clickable links with discount codes will not only provide you with the best services, but will help out the podcast too. So thank you. If you do like the Roger Snipe Show podcasts, then why not give it a review? A five star would be awesome, but some great feedback on what you liked about the show or what you would have liked to hear would be helpful too. Until next time.